Transmitting from the lovely little city of Taylor, Texas, you are listening to Plow and Hose, a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening in Central Texas. I am your host, Julie Rydell. Welcome to the show. Hello there. Hi, plant friends. Thank you for joining me today. I'm so glad that you are here right now for me. It's a rainy weekend and the week ahead looks pretty cloudy and wet and drizzly too. And I feel like that's kind of unusual for this time of the year. I mean, it's just mid-May because here in Taylor and our part of Central Texas, this time of year is a little hit or miss as far as rain levels go. Um, every few years though, we will get a crazy rain and flooding right around Memorial Day. So maybe we're just getting that Memorial Day rain early this year. Um, you know, that would really wouldn't surprise me. I mean, global warming is changing lots of things, especially our weather, weather patterns. Too much rain all at once, um, can cause some problems depending on the amount that we get we can have issues from low low spots like standing water puddles, but then also more serious problems like flooding. For those of us that are currently living east of Interstate 35, we are in the Blackland Prairie and we have that beautiful dark black clay soil. It's good stuff, but it presents a few challenges. And that's just the nature of heavy clay, um, no matter what color it is. Uh, heavy clay soil is challenging. Clay particles are teeny tiny, and our soil is just full of it. The problem with heavy clay soil is that it doesn't really handle water very well because clay expands and contracts with moisture. When it rains, our clay soil takes up, takes up the water and expands and pushes out the air. When we get regular rainfall, like normal amounts, you know, it's fine. It's great. It's just enough to, um, for the ground to absorb. But if we have heavy rainfall and we get a whole lot of rain all at once, the clay expands a lot and it pushes air out of the soil and there's no space for water to go and the ground can't absorb any more water. And this causes the ground to puddle up and sometimes flood, which is obviously a big problem. And our heavy clay soil really can't handle a lot of rain all at once. When we have drought-like conditions, though, the opposite happens. The clay contracts, and the clay particles tighten up, and they move closer together. If we go without rainfall for an extended period, the ground loses too much moisture. The clay in our soil tightens up so much that we get cracks in the yard. And I think that's really fascinating. 
I mean, the way that our, our, our soil, it moves, it expands and contracts. And it's sort of like breathing, you know, like in and out, contracting, expanding, contracting, expanding. But fluctuations are hard on foundations and all that moving, contracting and expanding can really screw up your house's foundation. But I still really love how the earth does that, that it it moves like it does. It's kind of like this huge reminder, like, hey, humans, pay attention. I'm still here. You need to take care of me. (laughs) This heavy clay soil puts, um, plus the climate, makes gardening in Central Texas kind of challenging, even for the most experienced gardeners, you know, people that move here. It's almost like completing, completely starting over. It's it can be that different. Depends on where you move from. And you know, I moved when I moved to Austin twenty years ago. Um, you know, we lived on the west side of thirty five, and that soil is totally different too. It's clayey soil, which is limestone heavy. It's thin and very rocky. Totally different than what we have here in Taylor. And when we moved to Taylor. I had to learn about growing in the Blackland Prairie. For all gardeners, beginners, experienced gardeners, understanding that the soil, the ground, the earth, understanding that it's really alive, or it should be alive if you want to grow in it, is probably the most important thing to always keep in the back of your mind. People, you know, use words like dirt and soil really interchangeably. I mean, I do it. Everyone does it. We understand each other, but there is a difference between dirt and soils. Dirt is made up of small particles of sand, silt, clay, rocks, and pebbles. Dirt has, dirt does contain um, some other organic matter, but it doesn't have enough of it to sustain an organized ecosystem with diverse microorganisms in it. So basically, dirt just really doesn't have enough nutrients for soil biology. So you won't find a lot of activity in there. So worms, insects, fungi, even smaller microorganisms like bacteria just aren't there because there's not enough food for all those little creatures. Therefore... Dirt is basically dead. It's void of life. Soil, though, on the other hand, contains plenty of nutrients to support soil biology. Soil contains minerals and nutrients from organic matter that's decomposing. And all of those nutrients and minerals make soil complete and a self-sustaining ecosystem, which is the perfect growing medium for our plants. Everything, insects, fungi, microorganisms, and plants all work together in soil. So soil is living. It's alive. Dirt is dead. Soil is alive. There is so much science happening in soil. 
it's really complex and you can actually get a degree in soil science, but you don't have to have any sort of degree or even formal education to be very successful gardening in central Texas. And it really all starts with just some pretty basic information, but also consistency with observations and being consistent with things like watering and being there for your plants. So the main thing, understanding that soil is living, that there are all kinds of creatures and organisms just living it up just below the surface. But it's a a delicate little world. It's sensitive to changes in a healthy environment. It's balanced and self-correcting. Insects and soil microbes are busy working, breaking down and consuming compost and decaying material in the soil and this whole process enriches the soil with nutrients. Everything kind of depends on each other in the soil to help break down organic matter and they, they do it in different ways like the different critters do it in different ways but it's all really symbiotic. Minor issues are addressed within um, a healthy ecosystem pretty quickly If it's too dry or too hot or too cold, soil critters will retreat deeper into the soil. Um, When when they do that, decomposition slows down and it just takes a little longer for things to break down. The balance isn't necessarily out of whack. It's deeper, but things just move slower until the conditions improve. More extreme situations, though, can get your garden soil out of balance and it becomes undesirable and bigger critters end up leaving and then all those microorganisms can die and when they leave and die plants in the soil will slowly deplete the remaining nutrients and when they take in all of the remaining nutrients It leaves the soil infertile. So the next round of seeds and plants that try to grow there, um, they're going to struggle. They're going to possibly even fail to thrive. Moisture levels are really important. Soil too much will waterlog um, roots, washes away nutrients. It can invite an overgrowth of pathogens, Too wet of conditions promote rot. Also, too little moisture is bad. Everything needs some moisture to survive. Bigger soil creatures will just leave, and microbes um, inside the soil will dry, uh, will die, dry up and die. Insects and worms also need oxygen to survive. Um, microbes like fungi and soil bacteria, they also need it too. And healthy soil is an aerobic environment where oxygen is consumed and used. When soil is saturated with water or when it's dry and compacted, there's less air in the soil. There's no, there's no space for it. So, Air and moisture 
really, really important. Inorganic material um, like sand, rocks, minerals, all those things in your soil that aren't organic particles, they help keep your soil loose and airy. Loose soil tends to be much better draining. Organic matter in your soil, um, things like compost, and, and you know the larger items that you find, um, leaves and twigs, those also help water drain away too. But for me, one of the most interesting things about compost is how it helps improve both too much and too little moisture. I think that's like really cool. It solves both problems, improves both poor conditions. Compost is organic matter that's broken down. Um, plants, leaves, food, food waste, wood, manures. All of it is, has started to break down and decompose, and that's, that's compost. Fully composted material, it actually acts like a sponge, so it's able to absorb and retain water. If you have poorly draining soil, some compost can help suck up some of that water. It, but then it also helps dry soil retain water when conditions are really dry. So. For those of us with heavy clay soil, compost really helps a lot. Compost always also really helps improve um, thin, rocky, caliche soil. So it, it's pretty great. It's really hard to screw up a garden with compost. Visiting your plants regularly even daily or multiple times a day during the growing season will give you a really good idea if you have healthy fertile soil biology. The plants will actually show you if there is anything that they're unhappy with. Heat and water stress levels, you know, that affects plants. It leaves them sad and droopy and wilted. If they perk up after you give them a drink of water or if they recover after you add some sort of shade structure, give them some afternoon shade, then you know it was temperature or water related. If they don't recover, then it could be a sign that you have some insect issues or possibly pathogen related. If there are no signs of insect damage or disease on the upper portions of the plant, then you know, it, it could be a sign that it's related to your soil. Discoloration of your plants and leaves, that can indicate nutrient deficiencies, um, but also too much water. Too much water is easy to recognize. It should be pretty obvious, you know, standing water in your containers or soggy soil in puddles after significant rainfall. Plants with too much water will start to turn yellow and drop their leaves. Their roots may also rot. Compost can help um, a little bit, but if you're losing lots of plants, you might have to figure out a way to improve your drainage, including starting all over, remove those healthy plants, redoing the bed, adding drain holes to any pots that aren't draining well, 
nutrient deficiencies are a little bit harder to identify. Um, there's, there's a lot of variables and a lot of things that kind of seem like nutrient deficiencies, but they're actually other problems. Insect damage, um, especially um, squash vine borer damage, pathogens like bacterial wilt. Both of these issues may seem like it's water or nutrient related issues, but both of those problems um, impede the flow of water and nutrients through the plant's vascular system. So it, it could look like um, a problem, one problem, but actually be a different one. And sometimes nutrient deficiencies are results of water-related issues. And let's talk about that. So unpredictable and inconsistent waterfall can cause issues in your garden. And one issue that is um, starting to come up on the gardening pages and questions that people have is blossom end rot. And it is a common nutrient related deficiency, but it's actually caused by a water problem. All right, so let me explain. Blossom end rot is caused by a lack of calcium in tomato plants. When calcium levels are too low, the bottom sides of the fruit, the blossom end, will start to discolor and shrivel. As the tissues break down, the, to the tomato starts to rot. And you'll know what it is. It's a single large black spot on the bottom of the fruit. And this is a telltale sign that you have blossom end rot. Cucumbers, squash, eggplant, peppers, all can suffer from blossom end rot. Now, this deficiency appears when plants can't draw up calcium from the soil. And you may get some advice um, because a lot of people feel that the solution to correcting blossom end rot is to add calcium to the soil. It may be tempting to add supplements and extra fertilizer in order to give your plants extra nutrients, but this is not going to resolve blossom end rot because the issue is with the plant's ability to acquire calcium from the soil. The calcium is there. The plants just can't take it up. And this is caused by erratic watering and going between water too much water and kind of drought conditions. It's, it's, it's subtle, um, but that it's, it's a watering issue and blossom and rot is so disappointing because it is exciting to watch and wait for those first tomatoes to ripen. Um, and then you go and you discover blossom and rot and it's ugly and it's discouraging, but it is really treatable. And you'll, you'll want to do it um, right when you first know it, notice. Blossom end rot tends to happen early in the season, so you will want to correct the issue so that you can enjoy 
fully ripened tomatoes the rest of the season. And the key to preventing additional blossom end rot starts with improving your watering habits. Tomato plants like quite a bit of water. They're big plants, but when they set fruit, they become even thirstier. They are kind of picky too because they want lots of water, but not too much. And they definitely do not want to be waterlogged or soggy. The trick to keeping them happy is to water them deeply, but less frequently. So this means instead of giving them a little bit of water every day, it's better to give them a good long soak every few days. Tomatoes are big. They develop deep and extensive root systems. So shallow watering every day is not enough to keep, um, you know, to promote a healthy, deep root system. So instead of spritzing them every day for five minutes, set up a sprinkler or, or soaker hose and allow that to run 20 or 30 minutes, you know, a couple times a week. If it's extra hot, then you might need to do more. If it's rainy, you'll need to adjust and, you know, maybe skip a day or so from your watering schedule. You know, but you got to be out there in your garden, like observing and figuring out this stuff. You got to really be out there tending to your garden. You know, another thing um, you can do is add a timer between your water hose and the hose bib. It's going to help um, if you're busy that week, you can just turn the timer on and you'll know exactly how long you're watering for because you're going to set it for 20 or 30 minutes. And then you can leave and go about doing other things and that timer will turn the water off. If your um, tomatoes are in containers, keep an eye on them because when it gets hot, they're going to need even more water. You'll want to water pots until the water runs all the way through them. Pots really dry out very quickly during the hot days. But if you're outside visiting your plants every day, you'll be able to spot any issues that your tomatoes might be having, including blossom end rot. Some plants like to dry out between watering, but tomatoes like their soil to be evenly moist. Moisture helps your tomatoes take up that calcium and inconsistently moist soil, it impedes the flow of nutrients including calcium, they're, it's, they're just not able to take up the nutrients, so your plants are going to suffer. You can try adding a supplement specifically for blossom end rot, but it only works if you have a true calcium deficiency. Well, if you do end up with some blossom end rot you know, on your tomatoes, it's, it's not the worst thing ever. Um, you can just slice off the ugly part and enjoy the rest of the tomato. Mulch is really helpful for maintaining moisture levels in your garden beds. It's really important to maintain moisture levels as the temperatures rise and mulch is gonna help keep the soil moist and cool and protect the roots. A healthy root system is really important to keeping the top parts of your plants alive. When 
they get stressed from water or heat stress or disease and damage, a healthy plant with a healthy root system is much more likely able to recover. So put some mulch out, get some more mulch if you don't have enough. You want two to three inches of mulch to get the most benefit um, to reduce moisture evaporation and help insulate from higher temperatures. Mulch also helps keeps down the weeds. Weeds are plants where you don't want them and they, they will rob moisture and nutrients away from the plants that you are trying to grow and mulch will help keep weeds um, suppressed. Plus mulch breaks down over time and when it decomposes, it puts nutrients back into your soil. There are plenty of things that you can use as mulch. You don't have to have the fancy bagged hardwood mulch. Um, those are nice and they, they function exactly the same as other options. They add a nice finished look to your flower beds and they help define the planting space, but you don't have to go buy bagged mulch if you don't want to. Um, you can use leaf clipping, uh, leaves, leaves and grass clippings if you want. Perfect mulch material. You can use straw. You can use pine needles. You can even use shredded newspaper or cardboard. It all works the same. It's mulch. It suppresses weeds, helps retain moisture, and keeps your roots cool. I've also used um, paper from uh, my paper shredder as mulch. It looks a little funny um, with just white household paper, but if, you know, it, as soon as you get it wet, it starts to get dirty and it starts to break down anyway. But if that bothers you, you put it down first and then cover it with another material like shredded hardwood mulch or straw. Just put that right on top. But that shredded paper from your paper shredder, it really breaks down really quickly and your soil benefits from it to so try that. Some people use hay for mulch. Um, being a natural materi material and it's lighter weight than um, like hardwood bark and other types of large chunky pieces of mulch. Um, hay, hay works pretty well for mulch. Um, there are a couple downsides to it. Um, hay can be full of undesirable weeds that pop up, um, undesirable seeds that pop up as weeds. Hay also could be treated with agricultural chemicals. It just depends on where you get it and the person that you buy it from, if they can tell you about it, if it was treated with anything. Um, if you plan to stick with organic principles, in your garden, really examine the hay. If you, um, if you know for sure that it hasn't been treated with anything that you don't want in your garden, then you know, that's a good option for you. But whatever you use, use mulch, two to three inches of mulch around your plants and in your beds will make your plants happy. And it's going to make things a little bit easier for you as well.
early spring in Central Texas is my favorite time of the year, and it's the perfect time to plant summer favorites like beans, corn, cucumbers, and squash, all from seed. True Leaf Market has been selling heirloom and organic garden seeds since 1974. They offer a huge selection of seeds of all kinds, veggies, herbs, flowers, grains, cover crops, specialty seeds, and even sprouting and microgreen seeds. Whether you need just a small packet with a few seeds or several pounds, True Leaf Market offers sizes for everyone, from the home gardener to professional growers. Order online at trueleafmarket.com. Be sure to use promo code PLOWHOSE10 and take 10% off your order at trueleafmarket.com. Spring in Central Texas is here, and if you're interested in growing some of your own produce or you just want to add new plants to your landscape, let Taylor Garden Center help. Taylor Garden Center is an independent local nursery that not only specializes in native and drought-tolerant plants and trees, they also carry a full range of soil amendments and organic products. Springtime is the best time to plant summer and fall blooming bulbs, and Taylor Garden Center is stocked with all your favorites. Plus, they have added bulk summer flower seeds so you can purchase as much or as little as you desire. Selection is still great if you need fruit and nut trees, so come by and check out all the quality trees and look for special pricing. Shop local and head over to Taylor Garden Center, located at 1902 West 2nd Street in Taylor, Texas. You are listening to Plow and Hose on KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. If you're enjoying my show, I hope you will go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com and check out the station and learn all about the great shows and music coming out of our station broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. Head over to Amazon or Spotify or Apple or wherever you get your shows and subscribe to the Plow and Hose podcast. If you like the flexibility of being able to play, pause, and rewind my show whenever you want, download some episodes. Be sure to leave a review. This is going to help others find the show and those downloads help provide me with some statistics. Gardening in heavy clay like we have here in Taylor can be challenging if you're new to gardening or new to this part of Texas or new to gardening in heavy clay. Let me tell you, organic gardening is the way to go. It's earth-friendly, it's family-friendly, and microbe-friendly. And isn't that what we want? We want we all want a happy, healthy environment. Everybody does. All creatures do. I mean, well, that's what I want. And, you know, personally, I have found that it's actually, actually cheaper to maintain an organic garden than to rely on synthetic agricultural chemicals, conventional fertilizers, and pesticides. And that's a fairly recent flip. Um, I mean, for hundreds of years, humans grew food without agricultural chemicals. I mean, organic gardening and organic farming, that was the standard, that was the convention. So then synthetics 
the synthetic fertilizers and pesticides didn't really take off until after World War II. And they became very commonly used, especially in industrial farming. And so now that's why it's become conventional. It's become the conventional standard. Um, and I don't know. I've had, I've, you know, in a way that you know that's pretty cool that agriculture has advanced so much in the last eighty years. Um, you know, the big farms, big industrial farms, are really pretty amazing. Um, you know, with all the advances in the chemicals and mechanization, big farm equipment. We really do grow lots of crops here in the United States. I mean, we grow so much here. You would think that nobody should ever go hungry. Um, I mean, I know it's not all that simple, but food and farming is complex. It's amazing and fascinating, especially when it's grown on such a large, large scale. But, you know, there's, there's a dark side to these advances, um, mainly in the form of pollution caused by overdoing the fertilizers and the pesticides. Um, there's lots of factors that contribute to pollution. But, you know, to me, um, the most significant problem with synthetic agriculture, um, all the chemicals, is that they're just way too strong. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, in society, more seems to be better I'm not blaming anyone, but, um, you know, natural products and organic formulas are really mild compared to um, some of the other chemicals that are used. Organic fertilizers have lower nutrient ratios. Um, that's the ingredients. Um, their ingredients are derived from plants and animals and minerals, so like manure, bone meal, blood meal, um, those can still be considered organic fertilizers. Um, you think of them like low-dose fertilizers. Their nutrient ratios, or the NPK numbers, will be like 213-555. If you are out looking at products, you'll probably notice that the synthetic brands will have a higher NPK number than the natural products. Synthetics are quick acting. They work really well initially. They give a boost of nutrients to your plants. But the problem is, is that we overuse them. We use them too often. And what the plant doesn't use is either going to stay in the soil and build up or it will drain off and then runs off into the waterways or gets into the water table. When they build up in the soil, you can burn your plant. Those fertilizers are pretty strong. When they get into the waterways, they travel wherever the water goes. And those nutrients cause algae blooms and other issues far from where you've applied them. Pesticides pollute too. Um, they're improperly used a lot. Um, I'm on several social media plant pages um, for, you know, backyard gardeners. And it really makes me cringe for people trying to give helpful advice. Um, 
mostly about problems with bugs, and I will see them suggest any number of synthetic pesticides. And the problem with it is that they recommend them for everything. It just doesn't matter what kind of bug it is. Just, you know, they'll still type in there, just use XYZ product to kill the bugs. It works. It's easy. And I really hate that because some of these synthetic pesticides are dangerous. They don't just kill the bugs you don't want. They also kill pollinators, plus all the good ones in your soil too. They, they don't discriminate. They, it's poison. They, they don't know the difference. They just kill everything. And they're not really great for people either. Strong synthetic fertilizers and pesticides jack up your biology. More often than not, they're misused and they create, they end up creating a dependence on expensive gardening chemicals for your garden. Um, you know, killing the bugs and the microbes cause imbalances in your soil nutrition and the soil loses its fertility and that causes you to have to add fertilizer. The excess fertilizer builds up in the soil, causing even more issues and stress to the plant. Then you add heat and water stress in the summertime. It's going to be so much more difficult to maintain a healthy, happy gardening if your soil biology gets messed up and you may even give up on gardening. And that would be terrible. We don't want you to give up on gardening. We want you to learn what works for your garden and why it works and make good decisions about the things that you use in your yard. And you're going to enjoy gardening a lot more if you spend some time understanding the soil and getting them off to a great start and getting them established. I mean, there's other keys to success, timing and plant selection. Those are super important. You need to plant at the correct time for the best success. And there's plenty of Central Texas vegetable gardening planting guides that you can refer to. Um, you also want to select heat loving and drought tolerant varieties, ones that will do well during our hot and dry seasons. But really, if you, the very best thing that you can do to help keep your plants alive, and, and it doesn't involve any chemicals, is keeping your plants alive throughout the summer with compost and mulch. You can have a wonderful garden as long as your soil is moist and fertile. Okay, well guys, that's all I have for today. Thank you for joining me today, and be sure to enjoy the rain and the mild temperatures while they last.
production assistance provided by KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. Original music created by Alex Cuervo. Discover more of his music at alexcuervo.tv. If you love plants and gardening in Central Texas, be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and never miss seasonal information on Plow and Hose. Plow and Hose is written and recorded at my home in Taylor, Texas. Thank <laughs> you.